We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now. You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top five show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and it is our privilege to be recording this 2020 NBA Finals preview for you guys, where the Lakers will be taking on the Miami Heat. Both teams are 12-3 and in the playoffs. Miami went four games in the first round, five games in the second, and six in the Eastern Conference Finals. Whereas the Lakers, five five and five, uh, Miami is a team. So so look, they're in the other conference, and they're not a team that we see as much. So my impressions, at least, will be based on viewing Miami from afar for most of the regular season, and a few days worth of tape work uh, leading up to you know the end of the series. I started watching Miami, uh, the end of the Western Conference Finals, as it looked like we had it wrapped up. I started watching that tape work. So. Um, so yeah, that that's with the the pretext. I I love Miami. I love how they're they have a very distinctive style. Uh, the Miami Heat culture much is made of that. Again, from afar, what that means to me is they really prioritize being in shape and strength and conditioning and and 
uh, a lot of the guys on that team, I don't think they have any high draft picks. Like Bam is the only lotto pick that comes to mind, right? You got Jimmy Butler was the 30th pick, Jay Crowder, Goran Dragic. These are all late first, second round type picks, undrafted free agents, Duncan Robinson, right? So you don't have any, you don't have a LeBron and Anthony Davis who were assumed superstars from the moment they walked in the league. And just they're, again, that view, my impression from afar is just these are guys that work very hard on the things that you can control. How good a shape are you in? How hard do you work? How much film do you watch? Eric Spolstra, if he isn't the best coach in the NBA, he's right near the top. And just everybody is good at their job. And that's something that I have a real, I have a real uh, appreciation for. Like they max out their potential about as well as any team in the league. And there are a couple of teams in the NBA where I feel that way. I have that great deal of respect for how they go about their business. Miami is the only team that does it with the type of style that pleases me as a Laker fan as well, right? Yeah. So they're probably my, my second favorite team in the NBA. Um, you know, there's a lot of... You know, Pat Riley is the old the old Laker. They're just once you're in the Heat family too, like you're in it. Udonis Haslam's barely played the last few years, but he's still a big part of the team and the leadership and whatnot. I just I dig Miami, man. So before we get into the personnel and X's and O's, which we're gonna get a lot into in, in this, I just wanted to start out by stating a, a real fondness for the Miami Heat team. I love this team, man. And if and if the Lakers weren't in the finals, um, I'd probably be rooting for Miami, hundred percent, right? Yes. to to win. Um, everything that you said, I was just nodding along right now. You could see me through the Zoom window, right? Just, mm-hmm. just sort of shake, shaking my head, and and totally in agreement. Um, the one thing I will add to just all of that is that this is it really is an organizational ethos with them. Um, there are some guys who, who are not cut out to play for this team. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's not a surprise that they've advanced to the level that they have now that they've maybe weeded out some of those guys who were maybe not entirely on the up and up with them. That's part of building culture, right, is getting the right guys in there. Because you can have the theory of it, is this the type of team I want to have all you want, but you got to have guys that fit that. That's also partially why like Jimmy Butler and Miami are such a match made in heaven. Yeah, I think that there is a like very simpatico Jimmy Butler and mm-hmm. and the Miami Heat. But just, just that idea of um, this isn't for everyone— but if it is for you, then you can thrive here. You're going to love it here, yeah. And um, th- their players are like the embodiment. Like this specific team, it was no surprise to me um, beyond the fact that like this is the first team to get back to the finals for them since those LeBron era and Wade and Bosch teams, right? That it's no surprise to me that Eric Spolstra said that this is probably like like he loves coaching these guys that oh, this I is bet. one of this his is a favorite teams dream, right right yeah. that because this group really does personify what i think the organization seeks out in terms of players and in terms of style um and it's a credit to Spolstra i think as a head coach that he is as malleable as yeah. he is um he finds ways to optimize the players that he has on 
on his roster. The way that this team plays now is not the way that those LeBron, Wade, Bosch teams played. Um, mm-hmm. One thing to that point, real quick, that I noticed on tape that we'll get to a little more later is they run their system really well. Yeah. So like that that goes into culture too, right? In that they, if you take this away, everybody knows what their next read is. They like everybody is taking the time and care to be like, I'm going to buy into this system, and it's similar to the buy-in we see with the Lakers, right? But it's a it's a different style stylistically, and so that's something that they'll get multiple attacks on a possession as part uh, and parcel to their culture. Well, they're just. there, I wrote this in my finals preview at Form Blue and Gold. But, that was great, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, I appreciate that. Um, you can find it at forumblueandgold.com. Um, that's my one plug for the day. One? But, Man, but, I don't think I don't hear you. But, um, <laughs> but this idea of, like, there are several things that stand out to me about this team that go beyond sort of... Um, the X's and O's of everything, right? And, and it's just they're they're a smart team. Um, they're clearly well coached, and they're physically and mentally tough. And those mm-hmm. things on their own will get you a long way, right? Like those are the types of attributes that can propel you into the playoffs and making, you know, winning a round maybe two. Um, I think what puts this team at a higher echelon than that is that they do have talent. And just because these guys weren't number one overall picks, right? Jimmy Butler's a dog. Bam Adebayo's a dog. Like, Goran Dragic probably suffered from that idea of, like, he's like a European player. Those guys slipped to the second round. That dude's a really good player who has been around this league for a long time and played on some really good teams. And a killer in the playoffs. Right. And And against the Lakers, yeah. And then Hero, and then all of these other guys, right? I like love Hero, man. Yeah. You no, know, and, and then even like Iguodala, right? So, sure. so there are a lot of these Crowder, guys, Crowder, yeah. right? Um, there are just a lot of these guys who, who sort of came into themselves in a way that I think allows them to not only be confident in themselves, but to be confident in in each other. And, and mm-hmm. that is a part of that culture that you're talking about. But in the same way that we've like fawned over the Lakers and their togetherness yeah. and and like their Miami. one mind, like everyone rowing in and the same like direction. And they're like for each other too, you yeah, know, like, it's, that, like they genuinely care for well, each other you and know, respect each other. You, like you got Jimmy Butler with his big face coffee, right? And then you've got, <laughs> then you've got Dragic walking in with his hat that says, I paid my 20, right? And so yeah. there is this, th- they really are like, like this family and... Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the common impo- thing between the Lakers and Miami, by the way. Yeah, and look, some of that is that Riley. I think that that is that Riley influence. Absolutely. And, and um, Riley has his roots with the Lakers as an organization, and I don't think there is that common thread there that I think matters. Right, that sort sort of that bus family DNA that mm-hmm. I think Jeannie has really tried to bring back to the forefront for this organization when she took back control of the team. And I think Riley has done that in his subsequent stops after he left LA. I think he did that in New York 
with that whole idea of of we're a family there, right? With the mm-hmm. Ewings and the Oakleys and the Anthony Masons and, and the all Knicks of those have never guys. been good sense, right? Like it, it speaks to how effective Riley is. And then he transplanted that same culture down in Miami. And um, a testament to him, testament to Eric Spolstra, testament to all of these players, right? There is this single vision that these guys have. And um, they've rode that through the Eastern Conference playoffs and all the way to the finals. And um, I, I just have a great deal of respect for this team, for um, their organization, and that mindset, I think, that they bring to every contest, right? Where they are, to me, if not at the top of the league, they, they epitomize that idea of let's roll the ball out Mm-hmm. And let's go play. And we'll see where we're at at the end of this. And they do not stop coming at you for a full no. forward 48 minutes. And that's that mentality that you were speaking to earlier, right? About we're going to get the best shape that we can. We're going to be strong. We're going to be fit. And I think that applies both physically and mentally. And I think the physical part of that is a representation yeah. of that mental toughness as well. There's a certain self-confidence that comes from actually doing the work and mastering the work, right? And knowing that you are putting forth close to the best version of yourself. And there are a lot of factors that go into that, some of which, many of which are not in our control. And that's what is so impressive about the Miami organization is those that atmosphere of you're part of the family. This means something, this idea, this ability to get grown men with families and financial responsibilities to prioritize the team to the degree that, that they get to. Like like in the last pod, you mentioned that with the Lakers, we haven't really heard anybody complaining about playing time this year or those types of things that are more... And, and we really... One thing I dislike about sports commentation often is that we really put down players for prioritizing themselves because... But that's really self-serving because it's like, yeah, of course we want that because we're Laker fans, but that's their that's their career, right? And and so I think that we can be a little too finger-pointy and judgmental about people in that respect, which is in that there are very legitimate motivations that pull players toward individual goals and having mindsets that are more individually focused. And the ability to validate that part of them and, and help them achieve those things helps them get people to buy into their culture as well well yeah like are you looking out for me like you like i know you're getting something out for me but are you are you looking out for me and miami is a team again this is from afar that uh every story i've read about them every it, there's this common thread of like no we're, we're legit about we're genuine in our our culture and we live it and there's self there's a confidence that comes from that that shows on the court that you can't like you can have bravado like the Clippers were bravado yeah they didn't do the actual like what actually needed to be done that's right to win right and you you put that perfectly Miami's a team that does do that and they're able to carry it an actual confidence out on the floor as a result well I think just getting back to that point about family and sort of taking care of your own and um the idea that you pose, which I think is super important here in terms of generating, fostering, and maintaining buy-in, is are you looking out for us? Are you going to take care of us? And um, look, man, Alonzo Mourning, right? He's yeah. still around that organization. 
um, you mentioned Haslam earlier. You you know Haslam probably could have slid over and become an assistant coach on Spolster's staff, but guess what? Udonis Haslam in a no income tax state is making a veterans minimum of a guy who has been in the league seventeen years. Guess what? That's like two point three, two point four million dollars. An assistant coach is probably going to make what like uh, like two hundred thousand. Maybe like 400000 500000 right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, the idea of we're going to do everything we can to sort of maintain, like, those ties that bind. And, um, and, and flipping it back to the Lakers, it was that it's been sort of that same idea, right, of the family stuff. I was reading um, a great article on The Athletic today with um, a, an interview that Sam Amick did with Jeannie Buss. And she was talking about sort of her inner circle and sort and coming out of the depths of the Magic Johnson resignation and everything that came from that, right? Mm-hmm. And she talked about her inner circle and the people who were advising her. And she mentioned Kurt Rambis, Linda Rambis, and Rob Palinka, right? And mm-hmm. go back to us maybe talking about that. 18 months ago and it was like what are the qualifications for some of these people to be advising at the level that they are um but i think the gist of that or when you burrow all the way down into what those relationships are those are trusting relationships those are those are familial ties and and those are lifelong people right those are lakers Right, Palinka from his connections with Kobe, and then the Rambuses who have been there since the Showtime years, and that idea of, and this can be good and bad, right? In terms of insulating yourself with people who are so close to the organization over well, over the years, but if you find the right voices and you promote the right ideas, I think in the end it'll come back to be productive and helpful. For you and in in a way when you're comparing these organizations just um at like a thousand like a thousand mile view right like sure. well well above everything those are sort of the similarities that i think manifest itself in how these teams have come together on the court now to be meeting each other in the nba finals in a year that has been Super challenging, like the Lakers beyond no just the COVID stuff. But it's no coincidence that the two like family teams of the NBA are in the NBA Finals. Yeah, in in a year where you're in the bubble and that you don't have anyone else, but mm-hmm. but the guys who you've been going to bad battle with every day now for literally twelve twelve months. Literally, it's, it's no coincidence. And the before we throw it to break, one last point about. Has the Haslam contract is something that is something that sticks with me in that every basketball organization at really every level, even down to high school, tries to promote these ideas of family and togetherness. Because even from a cynical perspective, most basketball people like if you've been in a team, I've you know I've I've was an assistant on a team that really didn't like each other, and God that sucked, right? And like the experience of it, and then I've been on teams that like really had that great culture and it's just the the what you get out of people in like people could well, can go to each scenario right where they're they really hate it here and they're you're not getting a very good version of them right so even from a strictly cynical perspective 
every team tries to foster chemistry, this, you know, ephemeral quality of everybody rowing in the same direction. The difference is, is there are decisions that organizations face that are inconvenient when it comes down to putting your money where your mouth is. When you're talking about family to a player, are you just taking, taking, taking? Saying, like, be the part of the family, right? Which what it really means is buy in because this is the result that we're trying to achieve and you need to perform this action to do that. So we're telling you, do it, right? There's a whole other thing that Udonis Haslam is one of the, I always talk about with the Lakers, they're like made men. I used to you, you yeah, know, mention yeah. that. Udonis Haslam is a made man in the Miami Heat organization. And he he's up there, right? In terms of just like the the respect that he's given. But- he gets to a certain age at some point, and he can't really do an NBA player's job on a day-to-day basis physically the way that he used to. And you know you could sign a somebody who's a better player right now, or perhaps – so that could be a veteran, right? If you're looking to build a, a championship culture, it could be somebody who will fit in in the locker room but will play and will contribute, provide some skill that adds to the on-court. But – what Miami has decided is that this guy is so important that him putting uniform on and practicing and dispensing advice from, from the court, even if it's just there, is so valuable to us. And he's so a part of who we are and what we do that the the on-court stuff doesn't matter much as much. But not every team makes that decision. You know what I mean? No, that's exactly right. The, and look, I hate to like sort of go tip for tat with the organizations like this, but the Lakers did that with like Ron Artest, right? Like mm-hmm. they, it, it was a very similar thing where it's like they kept him on. Well, look at how many Lakers have some, former Lakers have some job. Like AC Green is doing the South Bay games, right? Like yeah. you got James killing it in the studio and Ori will be there and Fisher. Like just think of how many of the like people that like, Lisa Estrada, right? Yeah. And people who have go- been with, the, like, you're part of the family. We don't get rid of family. No, I was going to say, when you were talking about Haslam, it's like this idea of of at Thanksgiving dinner, and it's just like, all right, well, they're all coming, right? It doesn't matter if you haven't had a phone conversation with this uncle in, you know, since last Thanksgiving, when he was at the table with, well, with you, guess what? When it's Thanksgiving give time, that, that uncle's going to be there and you're going to shoot the shit with him the same exact <laughs> yep. way, right? Yep. And, and it really is that, that idea of like, we're in this together and um, you couldn't win without that. Look, you, like you really can win without that. You don't, that, that idea of we don't have to like each other necessarily, but if we can get on the court and like be cooperative and work mm-hmm. together... You can overcome a lot of that stuff, but I can guarantee you that over the course of an 82 game season and in the cor- and over the course of a season like this one, this one specifically, that those things certainly do help you get to so, the point that that these teams are at now. So with that in mind, um, and both expressing, you know, we've got obviously have a, a ton of fondness for the Miami Heat organization. Uh, when we come back from break, we'll talk about why the on-court play, there's a bit more of a disparity. 
You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and I haven't had time to make anything, and it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door, and now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and food is on its way. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. All right, so Miami's really good. They're 12-3. and They beat a Milwaukee. They beat the crap out of a Milwaukee team that everybody expected to go further than they did. Um, and, And so I not only respect them from a cultural standpoint, but they are a very good basketball team. They've got uh, a big wing that ain't afraid of anybody and can touch greatness when he wants to, right? And Jimmy Butler. They've got a shooter, like killer shooters that they can run off of screens in Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, neither of whom have any fear. And that is something that we have not faced a team that has a, oh, he's got a flamethrower, with the exception of Damian Lillard, right? If Damian Lillard was off of the ball, you had to worry that of him running off of off-ball screens. And so that that's a bit of a different wrinkle. Um, they've got Bam Adebayo, who you could argue is their best player. I know some Miami Heat, Heat people who I respect who would argue that he is, uh, who initiates their offense. Uh, you've got Goran Dragic, who's still a killer pick and roll ball handler, a guy who's always killed the Lakers again in the playoffs, is, uh, you know, has always been up up for it in about the moment. Um, they've got Andrea Guadala coming off of the bench, who's got, he might not be able to do the whole 82 anymore, but he, he can play the 16 game season yeah. pretty damn well. Um, they're really good. That being said, I think that this is a good matchup for the Lakers. In Interesting. That, Talk yeah. to me. Um, teams generally have, and again, this is if we were at the ten thousand mile view at the mm-hmm. in the first part. This is like maybe the twenty five hundred mile view, right? We're not up close, but this is teams have to beat the Lakers with force. Like that's how you beat the Lakers. It's just a matter of being aware of where our, our weaknesses, right? We've, we talk about how wonderful this team is, but where are the places, like, when you do beat the Lakers, putting aside how focused the Lakers were, what are the skills and attributes that teams usually have to have in order to do that? And being able to have some athleticism of your own, have some uh, physical attributes of your own, right? Our strength is also our weakness. Is like if you are Aaron Gordon and Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac, you know, like these, Orlando's a team that we have problems with. Uh, Jeremy Grant in the last round was a guy who gave us issues because he, he's got some athleticism of, your, of his own. And there are going to be situations where he's up against a guy where he's overwhelming an Alex Caruso or KCP or a smaller player because he's big and that rotation doesn't matter anymore because he can go over the top of them. Michael Porter Jr. is a 6'10 dude who got has great lift on his jumper, like 
Kyle Kuzma closing out on him does not bother him the same way that a six foot nine Kyle Kuzma LeBron closing out on him LeBron didn't and, matter and that's why to him. you also like who are the guys that shrunk for Denver? It was Gary Harris and Paul Millsap that couldn't and they're the they're two of the guys from a Jokic is a different animal because of uh, he initiates the offense and at least Jokic and his skill le- well his skill level so high right right it, but also but purely from a physical from a physical perspective too Jokic is strong. Yeah. So he's got some. He's at least got something as a physical attribute. Whereas Gary Harris or Paul Millsap against a LeBron closeout or the our higher end athletes, like oh man, there were so many plays in that series where Paul Millsap had an advantage and then AD took it away on a closeout on a close and recover. You know, like AD closes out hard on the guy, and what's supposed to beat that hard closeout is the drive to the rim. Except oh, AD has planted that lead foot and sprung back the other changed his momentum and gone sure. back the other way and now like Millsap's flailing in eighties in front of him because Millsap isn't as explosive, right? And so um Miami has some of that, but and like Dragic can get downhill, but just from an athletic standpoint, I think part of the reason why they play the zone is Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic in defensively. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, they normally ha- have them on that back end, that back line of the three, and have their bigger wings up top. I feel like M- Miami is brilliantly constructed to beat like 28 teams in the NBA from a roster construction standpoint. Look at what they did to Boston, right? They go into this zone, and who does Boston have to flash middle? They could have done it with Tatum, right? But they don't have, they don't have Anthony Davis, yeah, a guy that's going to make that that shot that they give up. Like part of the increase of the prevalence of zone in today's NBA is because the mid range game has been so de-emphasized that, like, really you're talking about a shot from the free throw line that's wide open. But who takes that as an in game shot where you're catching open to the ball handler and then have to step forward? Like it's not a free throw; it's from the free throw line, but the the footwork and the mechanics of it are different. And it's such a de-emphasized shot that you have some guys that can hit it, but not nearly as many as there used to be. Right. And, but the Lakers do. We also have, there are three problems and I'll kick it to you after this. I could go so many different places, but with Miami's zone, for example, there are three, three parts of what we do that makes that is problematic for a two, three zone. We've got LeBron as the passer on the ball for when, whenever we want. And so what that means is that's a six foot eight guy who's one of the greatest passers in NBA history, who's great at moving defenses with his eyes. That's something that's important to do against his own, right? The, what you want to do on a fundamental level against his own defense is shift the defense. And what happens is zones by their nature are offering you windows of opportunity and you're, the defense is taking all of these calculated gambles to shut down these particular windows at this particular time to kind of take that away and keep you passing the ball around the perimeter. With shifting the defense with your eyes, it, it makes those windows wider. And so LeBron catching at the top of the key and like a hard ball fake on a ball reversal and then that pass to middle, the middle to AD, it's not just getting the ball to the middle against the zone defense, it's getting a ball to the middle of the zone defense while the defense is compromised. And that's Anthony Davis who just elevates to a different level than anyone else does. So that catch is really dangerous. 
that's the second part of what makes us problematic for them is Anthony Davis's ability to not only hit that jump shot, but what defenses will do is that middle guy in that 2-3 zone will come up and check. So say that's Bam. will come up and check AD at the free throw line. If they do that, the third thing that we have is other vertical threats. Because if that five comes up, then you're asking Goran Dragic or Duncan Robinson to take away Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee on a lob. And they've got to drop down a decent distance to be able to do that. And so this is where you get into the teeth of Lakers' athletic superiority. Because like Jay Crowder is a big physical guy, right? Jimmy Butler is a big physical wing. They've got stuff on the perimeter, and that's why they're designed to beat a team like Boston. That That's where their strengths are, right? Like You're not going to out-muscle Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler. But on that lower end, if you're asking Dragic or Hero or Robinson to physically compete with our guys, that's that's exceptionally problematic. I do expect them to run some zone at the end in those lineups where it's only AD on the floor. So at the yeah. end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter. And so if anything, I want to see Vogel like shift up rotation, possibly to cover that. But anyway, that's my long rant about Miami's 2-3 zone. I'm curious about your thoughts on something that's really come back more in the NBA, uh, or really more than ever, not not even come back, but more than ever. I think that, so everything you said about the Lakers' approach to beating the zone is spot on, and I might as well have just, you know, said the same exact thing myself be, because all of that is what you look for against the zone. The fact that Boston tried to beat the zone by screening high and penetrating showed their overall sort of roster weakness or the sort of the missing piece that that they had. The one game that I thought Boston did best against the zone is when they finally could execute that dribble pen penetration. They extended the zone by screening out higher. They got mm-hmm. Kemba downhill a little bit bit easier. They did it that way, right, mm-hmm. to get a win. And then but, but the think other about how different the personnel is there. Too. Yeah, like exactly. getting Kemba Walker downhill. We don't have a Kemba Walker, both the good and the bad of that. No, totally. And then the other part I thought that when they did well against the zone was when Hayward first first came back and they were using him to flash into the zone, right? Sure. But Mm -hmm. Hayward was not 100% back physically from his injury. Um, And he's a 6'7 wing. He's not a 6'11 big man, right? He's not the go over the top threat that AD is. Yeah, Exactly. So the Lakers' ability to sort of... um, or the structure or the tactics in which they can beat the zone are there. I think mm-hmm. that if you were to inject Miami with the truth serum, right, their coaches, they tell you the same thing, that LeBron or AD at the nail against our zone, like, that's death for us. Yeah. And we have to try to not allow that to happen. It's difficult, though, to not allow that to happen without starting to use more man principles within your zone, which then mess up things in other parts of the floor that open other things up. And then if you keep working the action, you'll still get to that place where where you wanted to get initially. You just have to be more patient. So my point against the zone isn't tactics, it's mental discipline. It's that idea of continuing to work and work and work and not get frustrated when something isn't there the first time and then settling for something. Like, because there was a stretch when the Lakers played in Miami, I think, 
and they had like a three or four minute stretch where it was just like, what are y'all doing? Like, what are you doing yeah, against this zone? Yeah, it was right before halftime. You remember LeBron was telling Kuz in the walk-off, like, Kuz shot this immediate, like, one-pass wing three, and you could the there was a hot mic from Spectrum as they were walking off, and LeBron was like, we can't be having that shot, or some, something along those lines, like, saying, yeah. like, that's not the shot to, to take. I do think that, like, LeBron can control that, and, like, we've got the personnel to get the right shot in those circumstances. Curious to see Rondo against a lot of zone um, and what he does within that, but he's, you know, we've got the passers to control the action. I definitely think, so to me, yes. I think tactically and personnel, the Lakers have, they have the personnel to beat it. And tactically, it's not rocket science, right? To beat even the best two, three zone. Mm -hmm. Um, What it takes is, is discipline, and smarts and patience and 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 on top of that other stuff that we talked about before right and what a zone does is it incepts you right it it (laughs) i love that like it makes you believe that the open shot that you have here that's open yeah. Look, look, take That's that shot. That's a good shot. shot. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the Coos conundrum that you, you mentioned that shot. Yeah. when they were walking off the court, right? It's but that's the shot that the zone is incepting you to to take. They are offering it up for you there on a silver platter and basically saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Like the little devil in your ear, right? Like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you're wide open right here. Shoot that." If I can give one bit of extra uh insight on that is the for me, the rule was always I wanted to get either a short corner slash dunker spot touch or a high post touch. If you shot a three off of one of those, that's a good shot. All like most of the other stuff, uh, three point wise against a zone is fool's gold, right? Like if you collapse the defense and kick it out, great shot. But that like that coup shot is exactly the type of like incepting that a two yeah. three zone does. Well, it, also too, and, and so. Everything that I've said before, obviously, that's all true to me. The last piece of it all is when you get into the middle of the zone, you have to think attack. You can't think hot potato pass right right back out. Now, that hot potato pass right back out, that's also an important pass. And that doesn't mean you should never make, make that pass. So there is a specific reading of the defense mm-hmm. that you need to have when you're the guy who's going into the middle of the zone. Most of the times you're going to flare into that area with your back to the basket, right? And so most of the defense is behind you. It's like a quarterback when he's running play action, right? Like you know where the defense is because you saw it for a second And now your back is turned. And when you turn back around, is everything the same? And Mm -hmm. you have to know where your reads are in order to make the right play. I really want whoever catches the ball in the middle of the floor to be aggressive with that. I don't think you're going to have that problem with AD. I just want to make sure that LeBron is also thinking, hey, score here. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm in the middle. It's not just my job to spray these passes all around the court. He's more than capable of of getting that pass every single time once he has the ball. But the heat 
are going to really try to take away that pass as much as they can. And mm-hmm. so once you're there and you're surrounded in the middle of the zone, you you can't take that for granted that right. you've now gotten the real estate that you need. It's like capture the flag, right? Like you've got mm-hmm. to be there for a long enough time to take the flag. And so don't just get in there and jump out and act like you did something. Like Right. Act like you conquered the territory. Yeah, yeah. like go in there and and do something with it because you mm-hmm. you you can't just give away those those opportunities in order to kick it right back out for a 24-footer that the zone is designed to give up in the first place. So LeBron is interesting in the zone. So if AD's in the game, AD is such a natural high post touch guy against a 2-3 zone in that he does look to score, right? Like you give him that touch right there, he's got the ball handling. Whereas a, a lot of bigs, like as they're facing up, you've got guys collapsing on you as soon as the ball gets down there and they're going to be looking to strip it and they don't have the ball handling ability to really take that one power dribble and go to the rack without the ball getting stripped. AD is like... a 610 611 wing and is just his ball handling man I'm working on a video he's just mind-blowing ball handler for a player his size so he gets that touch and he's like all right let's go you know like if if you have collapsed off of me that's his I'm this is my shot this ain't a lot of players shot but this free throw line touch that's my look and if you step up on him that's that lob to the dunker spot against that athletic advantage that I was talking about earlier LeBron's a different story right so if AD's not in the game in these lineups where LeBron's in the game but AD isn't then I think LeBron becomes the high post touch guy if if they're running zone there and LeBron isn't really a natural raise up and take that 15 footer type of guy but what I've noticed from those High high post touches is that um, he he knows he's not comfortable there, but he still attacks the basket and almost it's not like throw the ball to yourself off the backboard necessarily, but he knows that the fundamental thing that happens next is he who's this big ass physical dude and one of our other big ass physical dudes who is in the dunker spot is now competing against Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic for rebound on one, you know what I'm saying? And so there's like, in this, like we have a certain athletic advantage in this particular part of the floor that overcomes the technically, like technically LeBron in a high post touch isn't a great scorer, but you will score off of that even if he's not looking to pass immediately out of that. Yeah, I just think that there's a lot of, there's there's a little bit of a rewiring that you need to do on the fly when you're facing a zone. And it's hard for a lot of players who don't see it that that often. If there was one thing I was surprised about with the Celtics is that, um, look, man, they saw that zone every game for mm-hmm. a consistent amount of time over the course of a six-game series. And their guys never really found their comfort zone Within it, um, the Lakers, granted against different personnel during the regular season, were able to have success against that zone. And I think if you're the Lakers coaching staff, you're showing them that tape and like, like these are the good possessions. Mm-hmm. These are the bad possessions. This stuff is going to, the good possessions are going to work regardless of who is in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like the principles of that and the bad positions and the bad possessions are going to be bad 
against whatever personnel is in the game against this scheme. Like, so it's more about us than it is about them is the point. Yeah, well, it's they are influencing it by going into the zone in the first place, right? And they are, so they are, this is where dictating the terms of things is just the start of something, right? Mm-hmm. Because as you go through a possession, you then start to take more and more, you can begin to take more and more of that back so that now you're, you're dictating the terms, right? Mm-hmm. So if you keep settling for wing threes, then guess what? You're doing a bad job. Miami is dictating the terms there. Yes. You get the ball in the middle of the floor, right, at the nail, and then you take one dribble and then attack and get a little floater. Okay, like, mm-hmm. great. Now, now they lay off, right? And so you're like, oh, okay, well then I'm taking this jumper. Great, right? So now you're like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to act like I'm going into that floater. You're going to step up, and now I throw throw the lob, right? It's like There's, a baseball pitcher, right? That that it's the difference between throwing 100 miles an hour and then throwing 100 miles an hour with a changeup that's like 12 miles an hour slower with the exact same arm motion while also having a 94 mile an hour slider, right? It's the you have to defend not just defend some elite things but you have mul- to defend multiple elite things and defenses always crumble in those circumstances where they have like when you're really good at more than one yeah. like the counter and the initial move that at at some point the reactive nature of defense kicks in so i want to pivot here for a second because we've talked about all of this zone stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think the Lakers' goal here needs to be to bust the zone and yeah. to bust it to get them back into one-on-one. I, I don't and think playing man play to man. I don't. I think they're going to play a lot more man to man. I know we just spend a lot of time on the zone defense for me to come say that I don't think they're going to play much. But these in- inherent advantages are exactly why I think that they're going to save that for most of the time when LeBron's out of the game. And we've got that second unit lineup in. I'll be interested to see if if they actually do deploy it that way. Um, I know that AD is the um, AD is the, like the zone breaker, though. Mm-hmm. And if you, this is where like Rondo and Caruso's IQ is going to matter against the zone and how mm-hmm. they can Great sort point. of dictate the the possessions or try to dictate the flow of the, those offensive possessions because if and I may be interested to see them play more zone against LeBron when AD is when there's no natural outlet at the nail right because LeBron can't do both he can't stand he can't initiate offense at the top of the key and sort of dictate and point and align the offense, throw the ball up in the air to himself at the nail, right? Right. So I, I'm actually wondering if they're going to try to use zone principles, which is what teams do a lot to LeBron anyway, in order to deter his drives, and use it more against LeBron when AD is not in the game versus when... Versus the opposite. Now, I still think the Lakers can get them out of that because, look, man, you know who's been facing a zone defense pro- probably his entire life? Dwight <laughs> yeah. Howard, yeah. right? Yeah. So zones are built to, to limit players 
like Dwight Howard because you see, like you talked about co- coaching high school, no one was guarding Dwight Howard in no, high school. No. Man, you had to have to like man. all five of your guys. Yeah, that's not how yeah, we played. It's a, we played against a couple of like future college players, and it's just like, oh man, like <laughs> like it warps the game so much to go up against a guy like that. You got to go. So, I, yeah. so I do think that there's going to be a certain amount of muscle memory for some of the Lakers players who can beat the zone, and it's why I agree with you that the that Miami may not end up playing as much zone as we've dedicated this podcast to. Right, <laughs> sure. J- just based off the fact that the Lakers can beat it. So I wanted to pivot then to talk more a little Thank bit you. about mm-hmm. their man-to-man stuff because um, I think this is where the idea of matchup hunting yeah. and and trying to force Miami into screens um, and switching those screens is going to be important and the chess match of the different screen coverages that Miami will try to deploy in order to not allow guys like Drogic, Hero, mm-hmm. um, Olenek, Duncan Robinson to get caught into isolation possessions against LeBron James. I think that's going to be sort of the game within the game is how can we, as the Heat defense, how can we avoid screen situations or avoid switch situations within the Lakers screen game? Um, Because that is a key part of the Lakers trying to generate advantage within their half-court offense. So you're you're right on the track of why I think this is a really favorable matchup. So we set forth our argument for why zone is tough for Miami against us in particular. Uh, man, what you said about switching is exactly right, is that they need to avoid some some serious athletic mismatches, and they don't quite have the personnel to do that, right? They've got enough guys who... That's something that we've seen with this Lakers team, why why we can switch particularly well is because Alex Crusoe can bang with Nikola Jokic or Jeremy Grant on a random possession, right? Or we play a guy like Kyle Kuzma along with a couple of other front court players who's, he's big, right? But he's playing the two defensively on in this lineup. And so we've got, you know, personnel advantages there that allows us to do it in a way where Robinson and Dragic and Hero in particular, now Hero's a good athlete, right? He's also just young he doesn't have his grown man strength and you see that in a lot of possessions battling for rebounds he's a good rebounder right if you give him a runway from the weak side he's going to elevate and come down with that right but just from a that's different than leaning on having to lean on dwight howard and there are a lot of rebounding situations where you have to lean on dwight howard or lean on lebron james or lean on anthony davis or not have anthony davis jump over your head you know like yeah and that's where so both the zone is tough for them, and there are athleticism discrepancies and, and physical attribute discrepancies that make switching very problematic for them. So you've just taken away a lot of what Miami does defensively, right? In in that, like, if you can do that well, I, and we, we could definitely dedicate more time to why the zone situations where the zone will work. And this will be Spolster's big challenge is knowing when the exact moment to deploy certain things where they can get those advantages and the timing of those strikes will be important. But you're asking, you're asking for perfection. Like you're asking for 
you can do this for a game, right? You can do it for a couple of games, but the there's a certain point where the advantage, the discrepancy of the advantage really matters and it it's yeah, that that's I don't know, where where, where are you on on that from a man to man defense standpoint? Well, so here's the thing. I think that from an individual matchup standpoint, the Heat actually have some defenders that they're probably that they should feel confident in to at least offer resistance, sure. real resistance. Strong wings, Iggy, and, Crowder. Right? Iggy, Crowder, on the wing, Butler, right? Um, Adebayo against Anthony Davis. Um, and even some of those switches where these guys will be undersized in terms of height, but they will battle physically mm-hmm. um, against AD as well. A guy like Crowder, a guy like Iguodala, um, even Jimmy, they'll all battle if they end up on a switch against Anthony Davis. The The issue is those aren't the only, like you're not going to have a five-man lineup with no. all of those guys on the floor at the same time. That's not going to be their, their approach. And so this is why I was talking about um, screen coverages and what their, what, what their tactics could end up being against the screen like are they going to show and try to recover are they actually going to give up switches how persistent are the lakers going to be in terms of screening and rescreening and rescreening again in order to try to get the favorable matchup that they want right beat because once the lakers work themselves into a matchup that they feel comfortable with that's when you then say all right from the miami perspective are they going to hold up defensively on an island situation against Anthony Davis or LeBron James? Or do we need to send help? And if you have to send help and double team, that's when, especially against LeBron, that's what he wants. He wants to double team. And so he's going to abuse, look, he's going to abuse a single defender like Duncan Robinson. He just is like Robinson mm-hmm. is a better defender than he gets cred credit for. He's bigger than he gets cred credit for in, in a way it's like um, the early year version of Kyle Kuzma this year, where sure. it's just like, Hey, he's probably better than what you think he is defensively. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he gets picked on anyway because he's that guy. And in all of the options out there, he's he's the guy you want to to attack. But he's not going to hold up on an island against LeBron James. And so if he's guarding Danny Green, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. and the Heat are running a man-to-man defense, guess what LeBron is going to do? He's going right. to call for a Danny Green screen. Or they're going to run that double high screen that they ran against Denver where the big comes up and sets sets the screen first and and then the second screen is Danny Green right mm-hmm. and so you can't just you can't show and recover on that first screen if it's Iguodala that's on him right mm-hmm. and Dwight Howard comes up and screens Iguodala then Bam can't come out and show mm-hmm. right in theory or Olenek or whoever, right, who's guarding Dwight, he can't come out and show and allow Iguodala to to recover if Danny Green is then coming and setting a double, a second Mm -hmm. screen on the stagger. At that point, Robin's like, you've strung out the play too far. And there are tactical things that the Lakers can do, and that's where I think the dominoes start to be trickier for Miami in their man-to-man. 
so this gets to down to a fundamental truth of switching is that when you're switching, you're giving the offense the choice. The offense is who chooses who's like there's there's talk about right you know Andre Guadala, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler. You've got all of these wings that are big physical wings that like theoretically like hey that's the type of guy you'd need against a LeBron James most likely that's they they have attributes that uh can really that are about as best as as good as you can do I think against the LeBron James. The problem is when you're switching is you don't get to pick to have one of them yeah. defend LeBron, right? Like if you've got those three guys on the floor and then Bam and Tyler Hero on the floor, like four of those guys are because Bam's phenomenal, and that's yeah. one thing I think Miami has going for them is is Bam, uh, you know, from a from a defensive standpoint. But you can have those four wonderful defenders, and then hey, Tyler Hero's guy, come sit this screen. Yeah. And now it's LeBron James versus Tyler Hero, and the the knowledge of seventeen years of playing, like that's a. I love Tyler Hero. I love, and this is not a, not a knock on him. That is a huge advantage for LeBron, both physically, he's got the grown man strength, and the years of wisdom that come with yeah. that. And a guy like Eric Spolstra, who knows LeBron James's game as intimately as any coach in the league, will understand that and will understand that he needs to send additional attention or else the game will get out of hand very quickly with LeBron James cooking a yeah. Duncan Robinson, a Tyler Hero, Dragic, uh, those types of guys. And so that we can, you talked about a lot about the dictating the terms of the offense. Like we, I think this is a team offensively where we can dictate the terms because like a couple of the main things that they do great that got them to this point. We are kind of the antidote to that. We, like when LeBron says we're built different, it's also from like a rock, like we are composed differently. The way we work is differently than the 29 other teams that are trying to win this key and three type of battle. Yeah. Well, like we've talked about all season, there is a malleability with this Lakers roster they can play a variety of different styles yeah. and they can maintain their identity while playing those those different styles and it's been an advantage for them throughout the playoffs right they can they can stay big against portland they can go small against houston they can go back to playing big against um, Denver um, against the Heat. I think it remains to be seen what's going to be their best option, playing big or playing small. One of the things that is interesting to me, and I think this is maybe a good time to pivot to the other side of the ball, the Lakers' defense against yeah. the Heat's offense, is that I think what will be tricky is that some of the things that the Lakers can leverage um, offensively in terms of their size could end up being trickier for them defensively against what the Heat likes to do from a spacing standpoint. Um, And we saw some of that against the Nuggets, who were a very technically sound team, but still sort of built around these two hubs of offense in um, Nikola Jokic and Mm -hmm. Jamal Murray. The Heat are constructed very similarly from a two-star standpoint with one perimeter guy and one big guy, but their offense is much more diversified, and they attack you from many different places, and um, 
they move and move and move and move and move and make you play a disciplined defense for a long ass time. And they not only move and move and move, but they have built in counters and option reads within those moves in, in, in order to play a single action two or three different ways that if you get caught slipping, then it's going to end up with an open shot. Um, either because someone slipped to the basket and it's a paint shot or an open three pointer. And the, and one of the, one of the pivot points for this series to me is if you're playing with a second big on the floor is how comfortable is that we know Anthony Davis can thrive in any defensive situation, but mm. the, the testing mentally of a JaVale McGee, over and over and over again, or the physical testing of Dwight Howard to have to like read screen actions up high on the floor and and am I going to close out there or am I going to sort of play more in my comfort zone where I'm sagging back a foot and a half, right? Because 18 inches, Duncan Robinson only needs four inches yeah. to get a shot off. Right? Height, Tyler, Tyler Hero yeah. Yeah. only needs like six inches, right? They're, they they're don't very need reminiscent, space. They're very reminiscent stylistically of the Warriors teams. Right? Yes. They don't, they don't quite have the same personnel, but they play a lot like them, right? Oh, Especially with post, post splits, like and screen Bam on is a screen great action. Passer. You've got Draymond, right? Exactly. You've got shooters flying off screens. Um, they, they don't have the personnel that's quite as, like, you know, Duncan Robinson's as good as it gets in the NBA at coming off of that handoff. They run a lot of handoff action with Bam, uh, you know, when, when Bam's got the ball. And that's just a great action, right? Because you've got such a, a phenomenal threat. Then you've got this big who's a great passer, but also a ball handler. And Bam will get buckets on fake handoffs where they use the gravity oh, of Duncan Robinson and they get to the basket and it's before anybody has time to rotate. Right. And so Bam's just wonderful on that fake handoff play. He's going to make great reads just very like as a passer, he's, he's not Draymond because he doesn't quite have the experience yet, but he is elite, absolutely elite passer. Um, and yeah, you've got these guys flying around these perimeter actions. And as, as you said, and I mentioned earlier, like Golden State, they will get into their fifth option, their sixth option, right? Like yeah. everything flows from one thing to the other. They all read the defense exceptionally well. So, like one thing, I expect Alex Crusoe to get back cut in this series. KCP, Danny, you know, more more those two, KCP and AC, because they're very aggressive on the perimeter, and so they're playing really hard ball denial, trying to force that catch out. If he, he goes a little too hard on his ball denial, Crusoe's going to get back cut, and that's something that we've seen in throughout this season. And Miami's going to read that. And they're gonna yeah, and so they'll get they'll get buckets off of that, and so yeah, they're a they're a fantastic offense. I think that we are going to try to switch as often as possible against them to make that same dynamic that we were talking about on the other end of the floor, uh, make guys beat our guys one on one, one on one exactly. And now, and that's the thing where that's fascinating to me in Miami's offense is. When the game gets tight and there's three minutes left in a game in the fourth quarter, like we know Jimmy is that dude for them, right? Like we know he's like that. You got to watch out for that guy because he's a he's incredible in those moments, and you have to be very very aware from him of him. And he's the only 
wing like that that we've faced so far. Everybody else on the way to this point has either been big or guard. But this is the first like big wing in Butler. But for the other, for most of the game with Miami, he very much operates within the system. Yeah. And most of the plays aren't really run for him. He'll he'll get some, you know, transition stuff or some late shot clock you need like oh crap this possession didn't work and there's 6 seconds left on the shot clock. Jimmy can get you a, a shot at least. And so he'll take some of those grenades those last second. But he's not like really high volume touching the ball a ton. And but so they're a team that that runs this great system and does that but also have that like just give him the ball type of guy <laughs> when yeah. because and you need both to be a high and it's no it's no coincidence that that they ultimately made the finals because they were really the one team in the east that had a guy who could be both of that in the act in in a, in a system and the give him the ball type guy yeah and look jimmy is such a good player um the way that they use him and the way that he sort of feels his way out throughout a game is super interesting. I think a lot of times you're looking for him to be more aggressive and he's not. He is calling over hero. Um, and Jimmy will actually operate as sort of a second big as oh, with, within the context of mm-hmm. possessions. He's, he, he sets a ton of screens. They'll run handoff actions, but it's him who is handing the ball off and then he's setting a screen. Right. And then, um, so there is a lot of using his physicality to as a wing to sort of disrupt what a defense does because then he's setting screens on guards. Um, and then he will then punish a guard if he gets a switch, right? And so he will set a down screen, for example, and then he'll post. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, well, he's screening KCP, right, in order to try to get um, – Tyler Harrow free, or he's trying to get Duncan Robinson free for for a three. But, um, okay, so let's switch that because we don't want to give those guys the space. And so now um, KCP is on Jimmy Butler, right? And Jimmy's just like, okay, well, you're a good defensive player, but guess what? I'm going to bury your ass. Yeah, I'm and, too and, powerful. Yeah, and, and, KCP, and that's a weakness of KCP's. Yeah, and, and it's sort of like when you were talking about how he's sort of um, – this big wing and you need both right like to be able to play system basketball and then to be able to sort of or you need to have lebron james and anthony davis right like that's well i'll close close with some of that go ahead i was going to say that that jimmy is sort of playing in that Kawhi role a little bit that Kawhi played with the with with the raptors more so than the clippers Mm -hmm. and but with a little bit less aggression because he plays every game and so they can run (laughs) no and look if that sounds like a dig it's just like take it for 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 what it's worth when we had talked about Kawhi with with toronto i had sort of talked talked about how toronto had different versions within the same team right they had the non Kawhi team that yeah. was very motion heavy very nick nurse influence right lots of screens lots of back cuts gasol at the high post he's spraying the ball all over the court like a lot of that Right. And then you had the Kawhi team, which was much more like, oh, this guy is a bucket getter. He is a power wing. He can get to his spots on the floor and he can raise up and get a 15 foot jumper. And there are times in the playoffs where you just need that. 
And so when Toronto finally coalesced in the playoffs and they were able to sort of play both versions interchangeably, they were at their best and they rode that to a, to a championship along with, you know, some unfortunate injuries on the Warriors side. Well, the Heat are very similar in that they run this very system-oriented team, but Jimmy operates within that, right? So Mm -hmm. he sets hard screens. He cuts even if he's not going to get the ball. He draws attention. So so this is part of that culture, right? Is like being actually about being great at basketball. Not the being just perceived as that, but like you set hard screens. You cut as hard as you can, even though there's like a 99% chance you're not going to get the pass because that pulls in uh, an extra defender, right? Like it's, this is what being actually great at basketball is about, is these these types of things. At least these are the things that anybody can do. This is part of why I love Alex Crusoe, right? Exactly. And and Miami has a lot of that. And Jimmy is the personification of that type of player. That said... I think one of the fundamental differences between Miami and the Lakers is that the old adage of hard hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard is 100% true, right? But if talent's working hard too, Talent, also, talent definitely matters, right? Yeah, yeah. And on there are certain physical attributes for many of the players on Miami. Bam Adebayo is really the big exception to this, and I like heroes. Like heroes, an NBA like athlete and size for for his wing for sure, or for his position. Um, but there's something. There's a reason why those guys were drafted where they were, or not drafted at all. There, there is not an Anthony Davis or LeBron James on that team where there is no possibility of a story like Duncan Robinson's where he starts in Division Three and ends up in the NBA. LeBron James or Anthony Davis were never destined for Division Three basketball. And you look at a lot of the Miami guys' stories, they grinded to get where they were. They weren't given, they weren't touched by the gods physically. Yeah. You know what I mean? We got a couple of guys who do fit that description. And who also have the wisdom of years in LeBron James and another guy in his prime, 27 years old, Anthony Davis, and one of those guys touched by the gods who's got a motor and, and they, they play hard, they know how to play. At some point, the, the talent wins, right? When, and, and so that's what I think on the defensive end, we've got guys that can smother them. In that's critical the, possessions. That's the hope to me. One of the things, so when looking at this series, one of the things I wrote in like sort of the open questions section of when I was writing about this series was this idea of one of the strengths the Lakers have exhibited this year as a defense was their ability to limit three three point attempts. They're actually they over the course of the playoffs, they've allowed the second fewest number of three-pointers to be taken. And that's with playing Portland and Houston, right? right. Two, two high-volume right. three-point teams whose offenses are predicated on creating that type of shot. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's two-thirds of the Lakers' playoff opponents to, to this point. And the Lakers are limiting still, three-point attempts. Yep. still limiting threes. And Miami takes 
about five more threes per game than the Lakers. And so inherently, there's a bit of a math problem, right? And the Lakers have been up against the math problem no more severely than what they were against Houston. Mm-hmm. But all season, they've been playing a version of, they, they've been trying to solve the equation of the math problem all season as a team who has not necessarily been a great three-point shooting team and does not shoot a high volume of them against a league that has skewed heavily in that direction. So that's the thing I would argue that the math problem has had a much harder problem solving us. Like yes. we are the antidote to teams that are trying to solve the math problem because and there is a physical problem that teams are running up against where the math crumbles because like this athlete cannot defend that athlete, you know? 100%. And so this needs to be one more series where that holds true sure. to me. Right. And that's an important part of this series is that this is on some level strength on strength that Miami does a lot of tactical, smart things in order to get their shooters the right amount of space in order to generate the types of shots that those players are comfortable taking. Right. And the chief goal for the Lakers, whether it's by switching whether it's by like um, a lot of the closeout stuff that they've done in their other series, right, in terms of getting guys off of the line or closing out with enough force but under control still in order to force a pass, like not force another driving kick where you're then rotating again, but actually like, oh, that shot's not there. Let me reset, right? The Lakers need to force the heat into resets rather than allowing them to keep their flow going because if they keep their flow going they're going to end up generating a shot eventually what you need them to do is reset and reset again and that to me is like that's the chess game so that's why i think we switch that's why i think we switch a lot is because we have the athletes to be able to do it and uh, a guard like caruso in particular being able to hold his ground against bigger players when they try to match up hunt um you know, even with a guy like Jimmy Butler, Jimmy's going to try to go through him, and he's great at that. Crusoe's got some skill and ability to yeah. operate in that switch. And so we've got the personnel to be able to switch everything. That does leave for some back cut the overplay or split uh, slip screen opportunities that Bam can really capitalize on with his passing. But that's one of the few weaknesses, us versus them. Like Jimmy, Jimmy will get his but I don't think at the rate necessary. Uh, and Dragic will get his. I'm actually worried about Dragic in this Me series. too. We yeah? haven't talked about him yet. I was going to make about, sure that he's we like, brought him He's the guy up. that I'm most worried about from a matchup standpoint. What do you think of him? He's just super good. And he's an all, so he's a three-level scorer. Um, he's shifty. He's left-handed, which is like, just adds to it's the allure un- for someone like me. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, same, same. Right. But but also, too, like there 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 is that unorthodox nature of guarding a southpaw and the angles that they take can be different. Um, And just sort of the places where they like to go on the floor are just mirrored from a right handed player a lot Mm -hmm. of times. And so you're not used to look as much at. The NBA, as much of it as like instincts and skill and natural ability, a lot of it is also muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Like, you you know, a step back from this guy 
who's right-handed looks almost the exact same as a step back from this other guy. It's why like player comparisons are so prevalent in the NBA. Like, oh, this guy plays like that guy. And so the scouting tape on him is going to be similar. And these are the, and we're going to do the same things. The Lakers haven't faced a player who is like Drogic this entire playoff series. Like he's you don't think Murray's kind of like him. Murray reminds me he's right-handed, but just that craft and skill and like oh crap he made that shot. Like he has to. There's that athleticism disadvantage, but he can like throw his ass out one direction while his and defend fend off the you know shot blocker and throw up this wild angled bucket and and make it. So Murray can do that too. He reminds me of him. The thing that Drogic does, I think, that's different than Murray, and I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's different and it's effective, too, is that he's a much more straight line drive guy. He is mm. not a lot he of like, downhill. Sh- yeah, yeah, he is not a lot of shake. So like Murray to me is like this sort point. of yeah. like he's sort of in between like you you made this comp last series like CJ McCollum a little bit where mm-hmm. there is a little bit of dance and ball handling to him to like he's going to attack your front foot and then he's going to pull pull the ball back and then that makes you flip your stance and then he then attacks the front foot and then gets you to flip again and then goes again and it's sort of like oh damn you know but he does it all really quickly. It's a martial and, artistry, right? Like it's this, yeah. And Drogic is like, okay, well, I'm just putting my head down and, and I'm going. It's a and great yeah. I've got a shoulder by you and now I'm left-handed. The ball's coming out from a place that you're not familiar with. He's got all this craft as a finisher around the basket. And so he had this layup against Boston where he did he did the hockey dribble, right? The behind the, like the, behind the backboard dribble. Um, but he like, Flipped it up, left-handed, mm-hmm. like almost wrong-footed, and yeah, then those are the type of shots he makes, right? Like he's got and these every those are just bag. Those are just in his game. That's not a lucky shot. Nope. I'm, I mean, it's it's definitely a difficult shot, but he's not shooting that without having practiced that like thousands of times before. He's like what a twelve-year veteran or however long he's been 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 in the league. Dude's a pro, and so there is a certain amount of. Uh, okay, like, who's going to guard him? Like, so, I wanted to talk matchups, actually, really quickly with you. Yeah, no, Do you as think long as K- you want, man. This is a, how, bro, we're previewing the NBA Finals, man. Like, it, it, let's go as long as, as, as we can. Do you think KCP's the best matchup for Drogic in the starting lineup? Uh, I think KCP, I've been going back and forth on this. Somebody asked me something similar about who to guard Robinson, and I was like, oh, I think you you know, put KCP on him because KCP is good in lock and trails. I've changed my mind on that to Danny Green because I think Danny's not as good from a speed standpoint, but his size is more important. Uh, like KCP, at the end of the day, is 6'5", and his ability to stay with like a Steph Curry in a lock and trail is a different beast than staying with a six foot eight Duncan Robinson, right? They're, they're, yeah, it's just too too clean of a look to give Robinson, and I think Danny Green can keep a body on him, and the skills necessary to chase around Robinson are a lot more craft and size, um, mm-hmm. and so I I think Green is the guy to go um, after thinking more about it. So that leaves KCP in that role. Um, I think. In the starting lineup, the reason why Dragic scares me in particular is the it's the ball screens with Dragic and Bam, where yeah. whether we're starting JaVale or starting Dwight, which is what I'd suspect we do, um, 
there's going to be a hunting of those guys, right? Where yeah. if Dwight comes up too high, Dragic can, has that gear to get downhill that we were talking about and then finish or kick it out. Now, if you make Dragic a passer amongst star trees, I think that you've, that's better, a better option than letting him shoot all of these crazy shots that he has in his bag. Um, so that's a win there if you can do that. But the problem again is just that if you, Dwight comes up too high, Dragic turns on that gear, that's bad for us. It compromises our defense. If Dwight is too far back, Dragic is very good, pull up, knock down that three. You've also got Bam on the roll. Now, here's the thing. I would be a good deal more more worried about Miami if Bam had three-point range. Yeah. Because we can pull, and this is something that's true about Miami's roster, in the same perspective of... Like, you could have four wonderful defenders out there, but if the fifth guy can't defend and you're switching everything, you're getting that guy on LeBron James. Good luck. Yeah. All right. And so even the four are great, the one guy. The same is true on the other end of the floor, right? And Miami has enough guys where, like, I'm not saying don't defend Andre Iguodala, right? But you can, you don't have to treat Andre Iguodala like Duncan Robinson, that's for sure. That's right. Uh, same thing is true with Jay Crowder, and he, Crowder is a guy who's really streaky. Like there, and he's a guy where you know the contests on his closeout or on his threes don't seem to matter much. He's going to let it fly, and it's either going to go in or it's not. And he's often a guy that like he started out very hot uh, in the playoffs and has cooled down. But in aggregate, like you don't have to treat him like Duncan Robinson. Bam Adebayo doesn't shoot these at all, really. And so there are enough places where we can pull attention from when necessary that I, I'm ultimately feeling okay about this. But against our starters, that Dragic-Bam combination and hunting our big JaVale or Dwight, yeah. that's a cons- they're, they're going to um, create open shots as a result of that. I think the Lakers have to make determinations about... I think they need to try to dictate more to Miami at the point of attack when they go into screen actions like ball screen actions you think traffic for for pick and rolls no i'm actually thinking more like weaking screens or icing yes icing everything right a lot of like just before you continue with your point just a this important context a lot of their ball screen action happens from the wing rather than the middle of the floor and so those are the areas of the court where icing and not letting them use the screen and kind of dictating the direction of where they go becomes more important it's vulnerable to baseline drives but well anyway well, I'll get to that. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, and that's where I think Dwight's going to need, Dwight especially, because I think JaVale is actually, in his own interesting way, like um, more of a guy who can slide with you on like the baseline. Like he's so, he takes these really long strides and he's so high in terms of um, getting that shot shot up it's like an interesting like dwight can cut you off and absorb you Mm -hmm. right but javel can sort of sit on your hip a little bit more and be a deterrent to those shots which i think is going to matter against Dragic. now there's also the instance of fouling and how much are you putting your body on a smaller guy and there's a lot of that stuff where i don't necessarily trust javel at all (laughs) sorry javel that came out harsh but I don't trust him as much to to sort of make those right reads. Like he's almost always going to depend on his physical tools and his Mm -hmm. gifts. And if those work out for him, then he's great. Um, But 
The Heat runs so many pick and roll actions and so many handoff situations where they are, where they clear, like they they clear the back line in order to deny help, right? And so they run they run all this motion around the screen and they're occupying help defenders that way. And then they go into screen and roll actions and the help that you would be pulling to tag a roller is not there. And so there is all this pressure that gets put on the big man who is showing or is in drop drop coverage there to really play his to really have that no roller behind discipline that is really hard when you've got such an athletic big rolling to the rim like Adebayo is. And so I really do think the Lakers are going to have to say like, okay, well, the handoff stuff, we're not going to be able to like ice a handoff, right? Like those guys are going to run through the ball. They're either going to get it or they're not. But in ball screen situations and pick and roll situations, I think that they need to have a strategy at the point of attack to say, no, we can, you can spray that ball to bam. We've got another big coming as like a backline guy to sort of show and if that means that your kickout pass from Autobio is to Jay Crowder mm-hmm. like we're going to live with that and have AD then busting his ass to either close out or mm-hmm. they will X out that close close out sure. and it'll be like a KCP mm-hmm. and then it'll be AD closing down on Duncan Robinson. Right. Because right? that's where you need the better closeout. Yes. Right. And, and so there are, so this is all of the X's and O's stuff that as you filter through a possession, it's going to matter. But I, what I want is for the Lakers to be like, no, 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 no. We want the possession to go a certain way. Dictate the terms. Let's try, let's try this, right? And they were pretty good at that against Portland. They were pretty good at that against Houston. They had mixed results at times against Denver. Because of Jokic, because of Jokic's ability to pick and pop and hit that three, Denver was the one team that they dictated the terms of their offense more effectively than any team that we've played so far, despite playing two really high-end offenses the first two rounds, the in terms of just dictation, Denver was able to do that from a personnel standpoint because there was nothing that we could willingly give up, right? Like, that's that's the thing about defense and, and when it crumbles is that there's you have to be able to give something up because these guys are too good that you have to be able to live with a certain shot and hope that, like, and so... Bam out of bio in a pick and pop, like will can he shoot that? Yeah, absolutely. He's a good he's a good shooter from mid range, and I have no doubt that in a year or two he's going to be hitting pick and pop threes. He's got the talent to be able to do it. I also think it's very necessary to get to where Miami will want to go. Um, but like if he's open on an eighteen footer, sometimes like okay, you know, yeah. um, and so that 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 dictation of the terms is something that's essential to our ball screen defense, specifically when we've got bigs on the game where we've got a deficiency of them stepping out onto the perimeter. They can't stay with somebody the way that that's also why I think like I'm curious about Marquise Morris's role in this series. Um like I see a great deal of value against Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, just kind of the physicality another of that big, size. Another mm-hmm. big guy, yeah. But I could also see him being a step slow on closeouts, uh, on switches, on the per- like. If he gets pulled out to the perimeter, that's too, where I'm yeah, more too concerned. Much. 
yeah. Anyway, I'm going into a, a few different places there. No, the, the, look, man, like we've gone a while now on on this pod. I think we've covered a ton of ground. We're probably at the point now where I'm not sure how much more there actually is to say about the series before it starts. Sure. Um, I've got one more because I want to ask you about, but yeah. You, well, I'm just saying too, right? Like from a schematic standpoint, I, I want to see some games now. Mm-hmm. To sort of see what direction this stuff starts to move in, so that we can even talk more about like what we've seen. Yeah, this is all from these two teams this, play. Like, right? what, how much of the theory holds, how much of it doesn't, and what does it look like for sure? And these are two smart coaches, man. Like, we're not out thinking Eric Spolstra no, no, and is, yeah. and Frank Vogel, right? So, on some levels, I think a lot of the baseline stuff that we've covered here, those are the truths of these two teams coming in and sort of what we've seen by watching them pretty astutely or as astutely as we can over not only um, the last round, but the entire playoffs. Like it's been the bubble, man. These games have been happening all day. It's like, Mm -hmm. we've been watching these guys play and they've been refining things as, as, as they go along. Spolster's probably been the best adjustments coach from a, from a schematic standpoint. The, um, and on some levels, like rotation standpoint, the entire playoffs, Vogel has been like behind him, but not so far behind that you can no longer see him like in the rearview mirror, right? Vogel's Vogel's been smart. He's made a lot of key adjustments, um, especially in the Houston series and even in the Denver series to make sure that things skewed more in the Lakers direction. So I'm very interested to see sort of how these things play out Mm-hmm. Um, in reality virtu- versus like the theoretical side that, that we've been talk- talking about so so, so far. if you would humor me with one more theoretical yeah there's please. one more thing I wanted to cover when the Lakers are in their half court offense Bam Adebayo is a wonderful defender who's lanky and can move his feet very quickly if I were to come up with a defender that could possibly bother Anthony Davis in one on one situations he would look a lot like Bam Adebayo. What do you think that one-on-one, because so much of our half-court offense is predicated around, like, throw the ball to AD and the other four of us stand on the other side of the court and AD do something incredible for your size, right? So if if Bam can bother AD on some level, that's huge for this series. That means, now, do the Lakers have really good option second option right run the offense through lebron in some way Uh uh-huh yeah right but uh it is significant enough where i i wanted to touch base on the bam versus ad matchup one-on-one because it's one of the few aspects of this series that i think will be played out in a one-on-one basis look so you had made the bam draymond comparison earlier during the pod and you made it more from an offensive standpoint than a defensive standpoint um Defensively, he does a lot of the same. Bam is also very similar to Draymond. Rangy, he's bigger than Draymond, but he's rangy. He maybe doesn't have those elite defensive instincts. Draymond is such a great like pre-rotation player. I mean, like Draymond's one of the greatest of all time at that. So not having that at Draymond's level is no like Bam's great at that, especially for his age. Definitely. And I remember when the Pelicans played the Warriors mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Um, I watched all of those games. Um, 
What will be interesting to me and what I think can hold very similar to what held um, in that Pelicans Warrior series is there is a certain type of shot making that AD has um, that beats good defense or even great defense. It's like the old Mark Jackson saying, right? Oh, well, good offense beats good defense, right? Or like whatever he says. In he, he makes that there's tone. nothing you can do about it type of shots. Yes, and he's going to need to make some some of those. What I will say is that one way to counter if Bam is giving AD issues, um, run screen and roll between LeBron and AD. Yeah, and make them make a decision. Yeah, right. Are you going to switch that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then now I've taken your best AD defender. And I've put him on LeBron, which is another good matchup for Miami or a matchup Miami would feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I've put Jay Crowder, mm-hmm. Andre Iguodala, mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler on Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. And I think the Lakers will then say, okay, well, you don't have to tussle with Bam this this possession mm-hmm. go tussle with jay crowder mm-hmm. which go is still a with tussle with Andre yes sure. it's still formidable is. but there's an like there's a certain element to ad's game where he like ascends to the heavens in a way in that like and and i mean this in almost in a literal sense like his release point on his jumper and his mechanics like it's like you're playing defense against him you're playing defense against him and then he gets a certain degree in the air and it's like, I hope Anthony Davis misses this shot. And they're yeah. just like certain heights that guys can't reach. I think that this is going to be a very important off-ball screen series for how the Lakers are trying to get Anthony Davis open. Like those so, cross screens and things like that? Those cross screens, the wide pin-down action that they run off of that elbow set, um, right? And so the Lakers mm-hmm. run a lot of their offense out of the elbow, Um Right, and so they do a lot of horn stuff, but they also do that that elbow set where the entry usually comes from Caruso or KCP, um, and sometimes Rondo to LeBron at the elbow. LeBron sort of takes a step back from the elbow to receive the pass, turns, and then the guard goes and sets a wide pin down for AD, who is in the corner, and AD then basically said he takes that screen, and so the guards are going to have to be up for it. Bam is going to literally try to maul you getting through that screen. But if the Lakers guards play big and they play strong and they play Mm -hmm. physical, Mm -hmm. that's an action where I'll be interested to see how Miami handles that. Um, And if Bam is able to get through that screen, which he's going to get through it a lot, but it is going to also give AD a step. And so one of the ways that the Lakers use that action, um, ideally, he gets free. And then LeBron hits him in stride, and then AD gets to the Rises painted over area the top and, of guys. and gets right. off a floater, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's easy pickings. The other way that they use that set, though, is AD then comes off that screen, and then he sprints into the paint. But his man is on him, so mm-hmm. he's not, not open. After that, he sprints, and then he circles back, and then he gets into the post, yeah. right? And, and then and that's where he can get like better position. Mm-hmm. And as big and as physical as Autobio is, like AD is bigger 
He's even bigger than him. And he's stronger right? than like, him too. Yeah, Bam, yeah, Bam struggled I mean, with Dwight a bit too, right? Just from a strength standpoint. Yeah, and so look, like Bam's going to hold his own and win and even win possessions sure. against AD when Bam is defending. He is that good of a player. Yes. All props to him. AD is also one of those. He is a one of one, as right. one of our podcasts said about yeah. him. And he is also going to be able to score against anybody. The One of the key tenets of the... Frank Vogel and the Lakers staff will be this series is how do we help get Anthony Davis open, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And get him into position on the floor where he can play one-on-one. Look, one-on-one against Bam, Bam's going to win some, AD is going to win some. Mm -hmm. Run some screen and roll, get, get Bam off, off of him run some off ball screen screen actions get bam off off of him or get bam in a trail position right there are little things that you have to do and that's winning sure. basketball that's how you win mm-hmm. a playoff game which gets you one step closer to winning a playoff series right. and these are the little things that are going to need to happen yeah and you know teams always look to seek out advantage and in those instances of off ball screening right the one of the goals is to for that to play to end. Now it's not Bam on AD; it's Duncan Robinson on AD, and that's the situation that you force the defense to you draw, you know, give extra attention. Or and even again with AD, AD is like having an air force. Like having AD on your team is like having the best air force pilot that imaginable, right? And 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 in that, again, when he's cutting across the paint and like rises up. And at some point, like their his shots being contested, and then at some point it's not. Bam is the only other guy that we've played in the playoffs so far that's really part of an Air Force himself. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Grant fits this, although he's smaller. Michael Porter Jr. These athletes, right? These guy who's guys who can literally impact the game at twelve feet in the air, and a lot of the guys on like Duncan Robinson can't do that. Jimmy Butler can't do that. Uh, as wonderful as he is, Goran Dragic. We're talking fantastic players, but again, it's like having this. It's just AD, for one, he's the best in the game at that. And then secondly, we've got, he's not the only member of our Air Force. We've got Dwight Howard, LeBron James, uh, JaVale McGee, right? And and so that's been a, an essential part of, if you think of, you know, basketball is is having an army or having some sort of armed forces, is we have an Air Force and the rest of the league does not. Now, Miami has one player that can do that at an exceptional level. And I'd even argue that Hero can do that on to some degree from the wing, especially on his defensive rebounding. But to have that with the, the size that we have as well. Bam, like Miami's oddly, they've got personnel-wise, they're not that different from, from Houston in a lot of ways of, of who they play. Like, they it's Bam and a bunch of smaller dudes. Maybe Kelly Olynyk gets more run in this series than he has in the past, or Myers Leonard, because they feel like they need an extra big body in there. But they play a lot of wing sized dudes, right? Yeah, and they do. so that just controlling that plane, that vertical plane, is something that they have a couple of guys who can compete, but they just don't have the numbers that we do yeah. to prevent really big disadvantages. 
an interesting name to watch there too is Derek Jones Jr. I was gonna think I was gonna say that he's a he's a guy who can obviously he can elevate yeah. and then they like to play him at the top of the zone too. Yeah, he's very long and athletic. Um, the last thing I think we should cover, um, and this isn't in depth or anything, um, but I think it's important to reiterate like where the Lakers' strengths have been this entire postseason. Um, a on defense. Right, they've just been a wonderful de- defensive team, but offensively, they're still about getting out in transition, and yeah. um, this is going to be an important series for that. They're going to Great need point. to. F- they're still going to need to force live ball turnovers. Um, they're still going to need to run on misses. In some instances, they're still going to need yeah. to run on makes. Right? Um, it'll be. Very, I'll I'll be very interested to see if the Lakers can get transition chances off of live rebounds when Miami is in a zone, mm. um, and they're not marking an individual man, but are trying to run back and like cover a space um, instead. Right. So there are all these little things, but th- that's going to still be super important for the Lakers. Like. Um, the Lakers half court offense has actually been really good during the playoffs, but a lot of that is because like they simply cooked Portland and mm-hmm. Houston in in the half court because those guys didn't really have anyone to guard LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um you you know, they were not as good in the half court against Denver. Um Miami's been a very good half court defensive team mm-hmm. this year. Um they did a really good job of getting back and building a wall against Giannis and the Bucks, and mm-hmm. so I know they have that in them. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one other thing to watch is is can the Lakers still force turnovers? Like the Bucks weren't a big like force turnovers team. They were they were a we're going to surrender the three type type of mm-hmm. team, which made them a really bad matchup. Like mm-hmm. that that made them match up poorly against Miami the Lakers are a much more aggressive and assertive point point of attack defensive team they really do I mean we've said dictate the terms about a thousand times on on this podcast but it really is their goal defensively is they want to influence possessions defensively at the point point of attack they want to funnel you towards their big guys and they want to block shots and get deflections and turn those into live ball turn turn turnovers and get out and run it's going to be important this series, just like it's been important the rest of the playoffs. And if they can get out in transition, that's going to just be another thing that dominoes in their direction. And if they don't, things can get trickier for them in terms of how well they could play offensively. It's it's another place where that whole idea of talent, like where does talent play out? We've talked about this a lot this year of, of scramble situations really being the domain of athletes and transition is one of those right just before everyone's set the more set people are the more the technicians of the game and the strategy of it comes into play but against a team that doesn't have high lottery picks as essential parts of their rotation the places where there's that discrepancy between top lotto picks and and not is often in that athleticism and in, in those physical attributes. So transition and getting out in those 
situations as often as possible is a place where we can really leverage advantage. And it's something that we strategize toward and that we know that's what we're great at. And so I have no doubt that that will be a a great point of emphasis. Um, We'll wrap up there. This, for me, was my favorite pod we've ever done together, Um, just from the different views of, you know, expressing just admiration and respect for Miami Heat organization from a very broad point of view, all the way down to the the nitty gritty details of, uh, you know, discussing technical elements of the game. It's been a it's been a joy to do this with you, man. I'm really honored and privileged to record this pod with you. Um, and got our, our, you know, finals preview, man. This is a freaking finals preview. Game one on Wednesday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Beatrice jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.